This episode of the Model Railway Show is made possible with the support of Railroad Model Craftsman magazine. Sharpen your modeling skills with in-depth features and how-tos each month with Railroad Model Craftsman from Karsten's Publications. Welcome to the Model Railway Show, the show that gets you thinking outside the toolbox. I'm Trevor Marshall. And I'm Jim Martin. Now, however you're choosing to listen to our show, we thank you for joining us, and we hope you're telling your friends about us. If you're new to the show, a reminder, you can catch all of our episodes from day one by visiting trainlife.com. More about us later, but now it's time to introduce today's guests. On the back half of the show, I'll be chatting with our good friend and webmaster, Otto Vondrack. He's going to talk about Karsten Publishing's new book, honoring their late publisher, Hal Karstens. First, though, Jim chats with a man who's been casting about for a living for the past 20 years, a man who's pretty good at doing just that. Here's Jim with Claire Gilbert. Thanks, Trevor. I've known this guy for 20 years. I first came across the name Claire Gilbert as the author of a book called St. Clair Tunnel, Rails Beneath the River. I remember the book, A, because it was an interesting read, and B, it was my first ever book review for Canadian Railway Modeler magazine. It was right after Claire got that book out of his system, I got to know him as a model railroad manufacturer. His company, Sylvan Scale Models, is well known in the model railroading fraternity. Claire has been a model builder all of his life and a scratch builder for most of it. One of his earliest memories is helping his mom put together a rubber band powered balsa airplane. A Mark 027 set followed by a Ravel HO train set launched him into a lifetime of model railroading. His springboard into professional model making was a contract to build a display model for the Toronto Transit Commission and Sylvan is known for its quality resin kits of rolling stock, boats, structures and vehicles in the three major indoor scales. Coincidentally this chat is being recorded on the month of Sylvan's 20th anniversary. So, as we welcome Claire, we'll do some reminiscing and some looking ahead. Claire, congratulations and welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here and pleasure to talk with you tonight. Does it seem like 20 years? It doesn't really. It's really only been in the last couple of years that I've been able to get past the fact we're not the new kid on the block anymore. We've done the uh, NMRA National. I went out there in 08 to Anaheim, California. And it caught me by surprise at how well-known our product was on the West Coast. And, you know, we do different shows in the U.S., and we have guys who come up literally with shopping lists looking for our product. So uh, it's been a great 20 years. We've had a lot of fun doing things here. Well, what got you into the business of producing resin models in the first place? Well, I guess I'm like everybody on this planet. Most people at one point in their life think, wouldn't it be nice to make a living doing what I like to do? Whether your passion is sitting on a riverbank fishing or collecting stamps, everybody thinks it'd be nice to make a living doing what I'd like to do. And I'm the same in that regard. And I've been fortunate to be able to do this for 20 years now. And I consider myself one of the luckiest people on the face of the earth because I'm having fun doing what I'm doing and I make a living. And I've met a lot of great friends over the 20 years. I do have to ask, though, because this is a common complaint. I hear from people who become manufacturers in the hobby. Do you have time for your own projects? No. (laughs) (laughs) You may remember Edgar Hutchison who ran Hutchison Trains in Burlington, Ontario quite some years ago. He was uh, one of my first dealers and when I got started, Edgar advised me, he said, you know, this is the end of your hobby and it really is. People sometimes will ask, you know, gee, you must have a big train layout. I said, I haven't got any kind of a a layout. I'm busy building everybody else's stuff. Mm -hmm. But 
But I've always been more of a model builder than a model railroader, so I'm still having the fun. I, I build all the master patterns. I put a sample of each one together to make sure that everything fits right and that. So I, I still get my uh, model building fix out of Excellent. That, so. It must be a very special feeling when the kit you put together is the kit you produced. Oh, absolutely. I've told different people that I get a satisfaction that most people don't get from their work. And I'll pick up a model railroad magazine and be flipping through the articles and go, well, that's one of our kits that guys put on that layout. And it's a satisfaction that's really hard to describe. Well, I still remember the impact your debut had 20 years ago, uh, Claire. Canadian modelers at the time were pretty starved for rolling stock Pacific to their country. Tell us about your first kit and about your business launch. How did that go? Well, as you'd mentioned earlier there, I had a contract with the Toronto Transit Commission to do a display model, and that really got me into the idea that there is a living to be made doing models for people. Then when CN did the new tunnel between Sarnia and Port Huron, I got a couple of contracts there, and that put the financing in place to to get the model business off the ground. Doing both of those models, I had to teach myself casting so that I could make some parts that were not commercially available. And I felt that was the way to go. And, of course, resin kits were just coming into their own 20 years ago, too. People like Al Westerfield, Dennis Storzak, and, and that. And I look at an idea for a product, and my first thing I look and see, if it's not on the market... Why isn't it? Is it because nobody wants it or because nobody's thought of doing it? And the biggest empty spot I found 20 years ago was Canadian freight cars. They were just a real dearth of Canadian freight cars and equipment. And some very unique designs among them. But, oh, yeah, we did yeah. The, the slab-sided covered hoppers. We did the semi-cylindrical flat-top tank hoppers. We've done the CN Point St. Charles. The, the caboose, CP, yeah. Uh, uh, the van, yeah, the, as it's called. Yeah, the van. Mm-hmm. We did the CN steel van, or the CP steel vans, the TH and B, and the ONR versions. We do the BC rail steel wide vision caboose. So yeah, we do stuff that is unique to the Canadian market. Stuff that's small enough market, you're not likely to see it in injection molded. Now, Sylvan doesn't just produce rolling stock. You do structures, you do marine models, and you do vehicles, cars and trucks. But I think probably the boats and the vehicles now hold a special place in your heart. You used to work lake boats, didn't you? Yeah, I'm a marine engineer. I have a fourth-class ticket, and I'm actually a month shy of finishing my third-class ticket. And I don't think that's ever going to happen now. But I, I was actually a ship fan before I was a railroad fan. Mm-hmm. Back in the 50s, when I was just a little kid, the local paper always published the Great Lakes traffic during the shipping. All right, and yeah. On. And I used to clip those out. And, of course, it's the old tradition of the first ship into port. The captain gets the top hat or the gold-headed cane or whatever. And I used to clip those photographs out of the paper and that, too. Yeah. So uh, I'm still a great lake ship. Yeah. You're what they call a boat nerd. Have you heard that expression? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, is oh, it yes. true? There's a good website called <laughs> Boat Nerd. You bet. And it's worth perusing. Now, the first castings produced for Sylvan, they were done in the cabin of the ship you were working on? That's right. Our first few kits were structures, mainly because they were much simpler to produce, and, and I was still learning how to do the casting, so we were kind of learning as we go on easier stuff, and I would do the castings in my cabin, package everything up. I knew all the print shops in the various ports we went to, so I could go get my instructions photocopied and cut and folded up and put into the bag, and then I would mail them home to my girlfriend, and she would have the orders there, and of course, when I phoned home, she'd give me, well, I need this and this and this and this, and I'd cast that up and mail them the next time I was in a port. I don't think a sailor's cabin can probably smell that good to begin with. What's it like when you're pouring resin? You must have been really popular. Well, actually, the, the polyurethane resin doesn't have a smell. Okay. You have, if anything, it's got 
got a little slight smell of green apples, and you've got to stick your nose right into the resin to smell it. It's not like the old polyester that you could smell a mile away. Okay, so, all right. So it was pretty good that I way. stand informed. Well, I remember uh, you launched your first line of HO scale motor vehicles at the 2003 NMRA National in Toronto. What led to the launch of your car and truck line? Well, one of my pet peeves was always there were never any really good quality period uh, vehicles. I like the 30s and 40s vehicles. Those are my favorites. And there was just nothing out there. And, and when I figured out how to do the hollow cast bodies, we went with that. Just to just say, there was such an empty spot in the market. You either wound up with Hot Wheels at one extreme or the Jordan Model T Ford at the other. And you can only put so many Model T Fords on mm-hmm, the railroad. Yeah. So we needed more of a selection. And I've always been a gearhead. As a teenager, I did a bit of drag racing and hot rodding. And, and I still have an antique truck that I'm playing with now. Well, I can recall bumping into you at the Amherst show in Springfield back in 2008, and I think you had dollar signs in your eyes because they were rushing your booth for these vehicles. Is that your biggest moneymaker now? Oh, absolutely. As I say, it's not uncommon at a show to have a customer come up with a shopping list, and quite often it's easier for me. I'll just take your shopping list, because I know where each one of these is on the table, and it's quicker for me to pick them out for you. And I get letters. I got a letter from a customer in Maryland today just complimenting me on the fact that we're the only people that really produce a lot of 30s, 40s year vehicles. And of course, he's got four or five suggestions in there that maybe you'd think of doing these ones sometime too. Well, you let Trevor and me on a little business news scoop a few weeks back. You're selling off some of the Sylvan product line. What's happening with that? Yeah, I've decided to put the freight car line up for sale. We haven't done a lot with it. I haven't released a new freight car kit in a few years now, simply because the vehicles and ships have kept me so busy. And I'd like to see it still be available to the Canadian modelers. Have you found a buyer? Not yet. I have two or three people that have talked to me about it, but we've mentioned it to a couple of people and got a couple of potential customers. Okay. But it, this is really the first time it's gone public, per se. Maybe we'll get your phone ringing off the hook. You never know. Yeah. As I said, I'd like to see somebody else pick it up and run with it because, well... My heart's not in the freight cars anymore. I'd say, as I said earlier, I'm a, I'm a gearhead and I'm having fun doing the vehicles, and that's where I plan to concentrate. You've seen some changes since that first resin pour. Uh, one of the big ones would be the emergence of companies like TrueLine and Rapido. These are companies now producing high-quality, ready-to-run plastic models of specific Canadian prototypes. You mentioned your slab-sided hopper and resin. TrueLine now has a slab-sided hopper painted and ready to run. What sort of impact does that have? That's that basically killed my sales for that particular kit. Much in the same way when I announced that I was going to be doing the slab sided, the only one available was a brass one. And I remember being at a local train show and a friend of mine said, well, it's pretty common knowledge you're coming out with a slab side because I've never seen so many brass ones up for sale before. Yeah. And it's the same thing. They brought out their slab sided and Mike had been around for probably 10 or 12 years at that point. So it was really beyond its peak of sales, but it finished off the sales. Yeah. Yeah. Things have changed a lot. The Chinese manufacturing has come on, and it's changing the market considerably. Well, there's also a new kid to show up on the block, 3D printing. What impact do you think that's going to have, not only on resin kit makers, but perhaps the larger makers of injection-molded rolling stock? I can't see any way except up with that. It's going to be phenomenal. 
I remember about 15 years ago going to a rapid prototyping conference and looking at some of the stuff. It had the texture of a sugar cube. Now you look at some of the stuff, it's almost finished when it comes off. They just need maybe a little bit of yeah. final polishing and, and that to finish a product off. And it's only going to get better. It's just phenomenal, some of the stuff that's coming out. And it's reasonably priced. Might be something um, you employ on future it, products. Going, um, I have a very good friend who works in SolidWorks. He does it commercially and he keeps bugging me to do it. And I keep teasing him and saying, you know, I don't know if I want to do this or not, you, you know. I'm having fun. I literally carve my masters. That's the artist coming out in me. And I said, now you're going to turn my fun into work. You know, I have to sit at a computer and do that. I said, I, I, at this age, I don't know if I want to do that. But yeah, I, I know what you're saying, Jim. It, it's the way of the future. It's just phenomenal detail can be incorporated into stuff. But I would say, you know, the younger generation who have grown up with the computers, that's where they're going to go. It's just everything's going computerized. And I mean, we're, we use a little bit of computer work in some of our design and pattern work, but nothing like like what we're talking with the 3D printing. And Claire Gilbert, keep having fun. We'll keep bumping into you at the train shows, and thanks for chatting with us tonight. Well, thank you very much for having me, Jim. It's been a great t- talking to you, and we'll see you at the next train show. Okay, and one other thing, Claire. Congratulations on your anniversary. Good luck with your future auto empire. All right, thank you, and uh, hopefully we'll still be doing this in another 20 years. So. All the best. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> Well, thanks, guys, and my congratulations to Claire as well. I wonder what you give somebody for a 20th anniversary. Let's see, if 25 is silver, then what? what's 20? Resin, do you think? Resin? Uh, okay, but I wouldn't want to drink from a resin tea set, I'll tell you. Like, no, that's true, uh, and anybody who's married, if you want to get rid of your wife, give her resin for an anniversary, I, and you'll be seeing the back of her, I think. I'm just thinking of him trying to pour his castings on the rolling sea, you know? He, his first castings were done on board ship back when he worked the lakes. That's true. And, you know, if you haven't met Claire, by all means, if you're at a show, he goes to a lot of shows, both in Canada and the United States. Go up to his booth. Do say hi to him. He always is full of stories. He's a very entertaining guy to talk to. And he's a car guy, which is why he's uh, redirecting pretty much all of his efforts now into his vehicle line. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the other stuff now that he's put it up for sale. You bet. A reminder, visit our Flickr gallery, folks. I do, by the way. Good. I guess I have a direct connection to it. Whenever I look at the pictures, I kind of rethink uh, the interviews that I did with the guys that sent the pictures. What in. you should have said. Well, what I should have said, yeah, and I, I see you threw my picture in there with my New Zealand buddies. I just want to send a shout out, by the way, to uh, Gavin Sowry and then uh, Cal Cut also. Uh, guy I've never mentioned, but he's a guy I met in Christchurch, New Zealand when I was down there, just a few days ahead of uh, meeting uh, Gavin, so I'll say hi to uh, Glenn Anthony as well. He's a crackerjack uh, narrow-gauge modeler. Perfect. Yeah. I always enjoy looking at the Flickr gallery, too, just to remind myself of the people that we've talked to and really enjoy looking at the workbench photos. And I know that we have some more interesting stuff coming up on that. Now, I've just moved my workbench upstairs uh, for the summer. I've moved uh, the approaching summer. <laughs> well, I like to look out the front window, so it's always on the move somewhere, so maybe I'll send another photo in. As long as you're not barking at cars. Now, just a reminder, folks, that if you are interested in looking up any more stuff about what we've been talking about, you can always go to the modelrailwayshow.com. You'll find all sorts of interesting links there, including links to, for instance, Claire's business, Sylvan Scale Models, and you can find us on Facebook. Time now for Trevor to strap on the headphones as he chats with our virtual and real friend Otto Von Drack about the life and times and the photos of a publishing icon. The model railway and rail fan worlds lost a champion in June of 2009 when Harold Karstens passed away at age 84. 
Hal, as he was known, had been involved with Hobby Magazine Publishing since the early 1950s. When he joined the company, he later purchased and renamed Carson's Publications, Inc. That's the company, of course, that brings us Railroad Model Craftsman Magazine, Rail Fan and Railroad, and dozens of books on real and model trains. Hal was passionate about trains of all sizes, so what better tribute from the company that bears his name than a book of some of his best photographs? It's called Rail Fan for Life, The Photography of Harold Karstens. It's newly available from Karstens, and one of its editors is with us now. Otto Vondrak is no stranger to listeners of the Model Railway Show, since we thank him at the end of each episode for the elegant show logo and website he designed. Otto has made many contributions to Karstens over the years, first as a freelancer, then as a contractor, and starting in January of last year as the company's electronic media manager. Otto is the webmaster for all Karstens magazine sites, works as an associate editor for Railfan and Railroad, and works as a books editor under Chris Lane, who has also been a guest on our show a couple of times. Otto, welcome to the show. Thanks, Trevor. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, before we get into the book, I've never really had a chance to congratulate you on joining the Carson's team. You're sure wearing a lot of hats at that company. Oh, thanks, Trevor. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun, and we certainly do wear a lot of hats, so it's never a dull moment here, that's for sure. Well, one of the things that you've done is get involved with the books, and we're going to talk about Rail Fan for Life. It's a fitting tribute, I think, to a man who just loved trains and gave so much to the model railway and rail fanning hobbies. How did the idea for the book come about? Well, as you know, Hal passed away unexpectedly in 2009, and it caught us all off guard. And because Hal contributed so much to the hobby, we wanted to have a fitting tribute for him. So in 2010, Jim Boyd, who was the former editor of Rail Fan and Railroad, he started going through Hal's collection, pulling out all sorts of slides for a planned book project. Sadly, Jim passed away himself unexpectedly at the end of 2010, leaving us with a pile of a few hundred slides and almost no notes. So when I came on board in 2011, this was one of the first projects I was assigned to. It already languished around for a year, and we wanted to get it out that summer. So that was my first job to get that project started up again and get it out the door. Now, the title page does show that there were quite a number of people who were involved with making the book happen. You've mentioned the late Jim Boyd, of course, but looking at it, there's at least half a dozen names there. How was the work divvied up? I decided that when I came on board, the best way to go about this gargantuan task of interpreting Hal's travels was going to be divide and conquer. So we had Steve Barry, who's also the editor of Rail Fan and Railroad. He came on board to help firm up some of the details about some of the eastern roads and some of the short lines and steam excursions, things like that. Bob Galagos is a friend of ours from Walters, and he has an extensive memory of past NMRA conventions, and he helped fine-tune the pages around Chicago and California. We also have Chris Lane, whom you know from the ON30 annual and the HON3 annuals. He was our expert on all things narrow gauge, which we thank him for. George Riley is our director of marketing, and he lent his knowledge of Appalachian railroading as well as the handful of overseas subjects we included from uh, Germany and England. Myself, I researched the topics in a section that we called Hal's Backyard and also worked on some of the traction and steam excursion subjects as well. We included Jim Boyd in the credits, of course, since he did so much of the initial work of culling Hal's collection to start with. You'll also read throughout the captions where I credit other individuals for their assistance. There were a lot of people who put their time and energy into this project. It really is a nice tribute to the man to have so many people pull together to do something like this. One of the things I noted in it was that it's obvious that Hal rode and photographed trains for decades 
decades. And of course, in his position as publisher of two magazines and a pile of books on railroading, both big and little, he had ample opportunities to go and do this. How big a task was it to go through his photographs to pick the images for this book? Oh, it was a huge task, Trevor. I mean, like you had a man who had a collection of color slides going back more than 60 years. What we struggled with was how to gather the most significant of those images and put them together into a collection that like that made sense as you're paging through the book. And how do you fit that in only 128 pages? I mean, Hal attended every convention, every NRHS meeting, visited every museum, and warmed many seats on excursions around the country. So we had a lot of material to draw from. We also had many meetings amongst the editors where we agonized over what to include and what to cut. And sometimes it wasn't an easy choice. So what sort of criteria did you use then? Well, we tried to make sure that the book was not only representative of Hal's travels and experiences, but also show people what it was like to rail fan the second half of the 20th century. I mean, Hal had so much material, we could have easily made a book from any of the chapters we included. But what we wanted to make sure was we had as much coverage as possible. We tried to pick the brightest and sharpest images in Hal's collection, though sometimes we might include a grubby day shot because the subject was just too rare or too interesting not to include. And we weren't just after the unusual shots either. We wanted to make sure we showed a lot of the uh, everyday shots of railroads at work because that's what Hal enjoyed most. And it certainly reflects that in the book. One of my favorite shots has to be that cover photo with the steam-pulled passenger train, the elevator, the boxcar standing ready to take in grain. Do you have any favorites in the book that really speak to you? Oh, yeah. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned the cover shot, too, because that actually was one of my favorites. It seemed like an iconic photo that really represented what Hal's passion for trains was all about. I mean, here you had a mid-century view, steam passenger train, like you said, the depot, the elevator, the Bosch cars. That was really what Hal was after. And kids on the platform. and Kids that... on the platform, the vintage vehicles. I mean, it's, it's all there. So much material for a model railroader to be inspired by as well. And that locomotive sure looks like it's in a hurry. It sure does. Uh, uh, anything else that really jumped out at you? Yeah, my personal favorite, and just turned out to be one of the random images in the book, there was this one shot that Hal took from the street looking up at an elevated train making a stop somewhere in New York City. Now, you probably have some idea of how fast the transit system is in New York, so I wasn't sure we would be able to identify the location. But Hal included a beer truck making a delivery to a German restaurant in the scene. And I thought, you know, let's take a shot. So through the power of Google, I was able to find out where the restaurant was located, which helped me place the photo to 17th Street on the 3rd Avenue Elevated. And what made the photo even more special to me was that I used to work just a few blocks away from there. And it was just really great to have that all come full circle and really understand what that neighborhood used to look like. And we had a lot of great breakthrough moments like that while we're doing detective work on these photos. And it made the process just a little more special. That must have been a particular challenging task, though, to uh, do that detective work when you don't have the photographer around to actually recall from his own memory. One of the things, in addition to the photos that I really enjoyed is the book includes many observations about Hal, not least of which is an introduction penned by his widow, Phyllis. What will readers learn about the man behind the camera as they look through this? Well, I think, first off, I think you can tell that Hal liked to travel, and not just home, but abroad to Canada and Europe as well. He wasn't just limited to his own backyard. What's more, I think it's Hal made a lot of friends, and he enjoyed enjoyed meeting people, and he enjoyed sharing his love of the hobby. And as a result of his travels, Hal was able to share his hobby with many, many people. And I think it makes a more important point that the people you encounter in this hobby are just as important as the trains, if not more. 
and clearly Hal's experiences were richer as a result. We could talk for hours probably over beer about what Hal has contributed to rail fanning and to model railroading as hobbies, but is there anything that strikes you in your experience because you've been a reader and a contributor and you've worked for him? What do you take away from his contribution to the hobby? Well, he's had so much involvement on so many levels. You look at a man who had such a long career in the hobby and you can look at it professionally when he started with the staff of Railroad Model Craftsman in 1952 and then when he acquired the company from Charles Penn in 1962 till when he passed away. That was almost 60 years in publishing. And in that time, he also published a number of books and helped bring a lot of authors and photographers uh, out of obscurity that might not otherwise be published. He was also heavily involved in the NMRA, as I mentioned before. He attended almost every national convention. He was also heavily involved in the industry level, too, serving on the board directors of the uh, Hobby Industries Association of America for many years. He was also involved with the Model Railroad Industry Association. And Hal, as you know, was also on a first-name basis with many of the pioneering manufacturers in our hobby. You know, guys with last names like Atherin or Walters. I should probably also mention that his extensive collection of toy trains is on display at the Abbey Aldrich Museum in Williamsburg, Virginia. And that was something he was very proud of that he had helped put together and make that display. For the world of railroading, I think his biggest mark was launching Railfan Magazine in 1974 and putting Jim Boyd in charge. And later on, Hal also purchased the old Railroad Magazine and combined the two of them, and they continue publication to this day. And I think what made Railfan stand out from the others at the time was... For the first time, you had a magazine that focused on the activities of the enthusiast and what he was doing out in the field. And that, in turn, got a lot of people excited to contribute. And I think it kind of really helped create this whole subculture of rail fanning as we know it today. Is that where you got your start? Because I know you're a pretty good rail fan photographer in your own right. And a fine <laughs> model rail enthusiast, too. Was that a result of indirectly Hal's influence on your enjoyment of the hobbies? Or To be honest, I got to tell you, I grew up reading model rail order and trains, like many other people getting their start in the hobby. But as I got older, I'd occasionally pick up copies of Railroad Model Craftsman and Railfan because they were different. You know, they had a different point of view and a different perspective. And it was just always interesting to see what else was out there and the different approach that those magazines took. If you pick up any of the older Carson soft card books, you'll see uh, plenty of Hal's excellent black and white photography work in there. I mean, there's some really incredible stuff in there from the from the late steam era, and that's pretty inspiring. Probably the most important lesson I picked up from Hal was the importance of simply being there. I mean, if you look at all the photos throughout Railfan for Life, he was on the spot. He was at that convention. He was at that excursion. He tracked down that narrow gauge line. He found that old steam locomotive. And I think that's part of the philosophy of both magazines. It's get out of the chair, get out in the field and do something, you know, step away from the computer and go build a model, get in your car and go find that train and take pictures. And I think that's really the most important thing is get out there and enjoy the hobby. That's very true. And of course, if you're stepping away from the computer, be sure to take a copy of the Model Railway Show with you for the road. Of course. Okay. Otto, listen, thanks for joining us on the show today to uh, talk about this. It's great talking to you this way, and it's a great book. I really enjoyed reading it. Well, thanks, Trevor. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. And it's good to see Hal's photographic work making it into a book for all to see and appreciate. And just as an aside, as a British car guy, I also think Hal was a cool guy because he drove a Morgan. You know, lots of people in the hobby do have a passion for old cars as well, which is kind of interesting that there's this correlation. I think it's the fiddling thing. It's uh, whether you're you're fettling pieces for your layout or whether you're fiddling. Adjusting switch points or distributor points. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, I really enjoyed looking at that book. They're very personal photographs. They're a connection to a 
man we are thankful was in the hobby yes. for us. Yes. Yeah. It's a really great document of one person's passion for trains and a person who meant so much to the hobby. So it's really nice that they did that. Very fitting tribute. Take a posthumous bow, Hal. Trevor and I are always glad for your visits. Don't forget, the best way to listen to the show is by signing up for a free podcast subscription. You'll find us on iTunes, podcast.com, and podfeed.net, and you'll never miss an episode. Well, next time on the show, Jim speaks with Rennie Gourley about the emerging importance of 3D printing technology in our hobby. Meantime, I'll be talking with Duncan McRae about the future of model railway control. Our thanks to the loquacious Otto Vondrack for his web design, the musical Dave Woodhead for his, well, his music, and our electrifying tech guy Chris Abbott. For Trevor Marshall, I'm Jim Martin. Thanks for joining us on the Model Railway Show. Too. That's my mom, too. <laughs> Tell her. Oh, mom, I'm on the air. Can I call you back later? All right, bye.